Here we go. Um, tonight's class was, tonight's shir was dedicated by Rabbi Elazar Frankel. And this is in honor of his father, his father's yard site that was today. Meshulim Zalman Ben Arav Chanoi Chenach. And also in honor of his Zayda's yard site which was two days ago, on Shabbos. Chanoi Chenech ben Reb Meshulim Zalman. May, on the 19th of um, Sivan. May their neshamas have agreed aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may they channel lots of brachas to you and to your mishpacha and to everyone. Only, only good. Simcha, freilich only good things. Thank you for the dedication. This week we have a sheer and CD dedication. The whole package. And this is by the Abitan family. And this is Lazecha Nishmas, my dear friend. On his fifth yard site, Mayor Ben Shloima Olova Shalom Abitan. On the 21st, today was his yard site. May his powerful Nishama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. We can't forget Mayor, such an energy, such a fire, such a powerful, happy soul with so much exuberance for life and the strongest ambition to bring Moshiach. Unbelievable. May his neshama have the greatest aliyah and may he bring a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of bracha down to his mishpacha, big mazel tov, his son became a chassan a few weeks ago to be a big, 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 big mazel tov. And it should be binyan adeyad, and a chasen should be b'shashayet shatayvu mitzlachas, with only, only good, and the rest of the family, only mazel bracha, hatzlacha, and only, only good things. And Bezash Hashem will be reunited very soon. Down here, Lamata, the coming of Mashiach, and the Tchias HaMesim. And then we have last, but not, not least, another dear friend, Reb Shleimer Goldner, who's sponsoring also the full package, the shear and the CD this week, in honor of his father's yard site that is going to be, I think on Thursday, on the 24th of Sivan. Pinchas Elimelech ben Asher Yeshaya HaLevi. May his neshama have a really, really great aliyah to the greatest of heights. A tayre yid from Rapshitz. A shoichet in Rapshitz. I come from Rapshitz, Achsidim, so it's very special to me. And uh, may his neshama have a great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he channel a lot, a lot, a lot of bracha to your Shloime and your family for all that you need, all that you want. Parnasa barachava, gezunt, nachas from the family with only, only good things. 
Thank you so much for all those that have dedicated this week. Uh, and now we're about to begin our hopefully special class. Um, this week is Parsha Shalach, and the Parsha is always consistent with the time. The Parshas of the week, they, they put us into, they give us the, the information, the knowledge, the Torah energy, insight, and light to acclimate us to the proper time period of the year. Every time period of the year has its own character, has its own chemistry, has its own uh, consistency. And as the months go by, there is a different energy to every month, which means a different way of serving Hashem in that month. So um, we are now transitioning, we're ending the month of Sivan, and we're going to be going into the month of Tamas, which is a transition from month number three to month number four. And um, the difference between three and four is very, very significant. Three represents the power flow from above. Number three is the ultimate, the ultimate empowerment. One, two, and three all represent the power, the powerful channels of light and inspiration and an empowerment from above. Like we have three fathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Each one of them represent another pillar of light, another channel of goodness in the world. And uh, when you have all three of them together, it's very, very intense. As the Pasuk says, V'chut HaMeshulish, and a uh, string, a thread that is threaded with three threads, Lo'i B'meheri take. it's not going to tear easily. It's a strong, firm rope. So we have Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, so the descendants, the Jewish people. But they are the channels, they are the channels. And especially when we know that they represent also the godly flow of Chesed, Gevurah, Teferes, this is the flow coming from above. Dalid represents the vessel, the container, the recipient. That's why it's interesting when the sages talk about the olive bays, they explain the letters of the olive bays. That the olive bays letters, every letter ha- has a name, and the names mean something. So what is the name of, what is Gimel Dalit? So they connect both of them. They say Gimel Dalit means Gimel Dalim. Gimel, give, channel, contribute, or be, be uh, it's generosity, dal to the poor person. So you see that the gimel is the flow from the giver. And the dal, it, dalad is the receiver. It's into two in the word, the meaning of the word dal. Dal means poor. The receiver is a receiver because they don't have. The poor man doesn't have. So they're a receiver from the rich man who is the giver. So in our relationship with God, who is the giver and who is the receiver? Hashem is the giver. So He is the gimel. And we are the recipients, we are the dalit. So then, translate that into the months of the year. What does it mean, the third month? The third month means the epitome of divine flow, of divine contribution or divine empowerment that's why what happened in the third month the month of Sivan even though Hashem was already active in giving the Jewish people on the first month on Pesach 
but it reached its ultimate, his ultimate blessing, the ultimate divine blessing that was showered upon the world is in the third month, Hashem gives us the Torah. Which is the Torah is the greatest gift ever coming from God. Why did God give it on, why did Hashem give it on the third month? Because number three is the ultimate exercise, ultimate force of the mashpia of the giver. Dalid is the receiver. So when it comes to the month of Tammuz, it's the month to receive. But it really goes deeper than that. The month of, of Dalit doesn't mean just to receive. It means that the receiver gets the strength to contribute something. So the month of Thomas comes along, we're not so influenced anymore by our, by our mashpia, which is Hashem. We're kind of given our own space. And now we need to perform. Oh, by the way, I forgot I have to mention, how many fathers do we have? Three. How many mothers do we have? Four. four. We have four mothers. Three, three fathers, four mothers. Why four mothers? Because a mother, a woman, represents the recipient, the keli. Man is the giver, the woman is the keli, the receiver. So number four is always the receiving. So the receiving over here doesn't mean to receive and just receive. Receive means, just like a woman, she receives from her husband, but what she receives from her husband, she produces. She receives from her husband and she produces a child. She actually produces so much more than what she gets. She is producing a full-fledged human being, a beautiful child. And the same is also, he brings her some money, he goes out to work, he brings, he brings some money. What does she do with the money? She knows how to spend it really well, right? What does she do with the money? She goes out and cooks up a storm. He brings the raw produce. She's the one who transforms it into the most gourmet meals. Everything becomes beautified. She transforms what is given to her. So the fourth month represents the contribution coming from the recipient. Spiritually, that means that when we come into the month of Tammuz, it's time that we don't rely on God anymore so much, but we on our own become a little bit more active. Doesn't mean that we don't need God's blessing. We need tremendous God blessing. Quite on the contrary, the greatest blessings we need is to have the power to do the right thing when we are acting on our own. But we're going to see that the Eberster wants us to act on our own. A lot of things he does not want to hold our hand. We always want to lean on God. We always want that Hashem should guide us and hold us every second. But when it comes time to mature in our lives, Hashem wiggles His hand free, and He says, I'm not necessarily, you're not going to have miracles every day, you're not going to see me every moment, I'm stepping out, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, because I know you can do it on your own. Obviously, do it on your own means with the power that I'm giving you. But you can do something. You can become a mensch on your own. You can contribute. Till now, you've been a, 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 a beneficiary of my blessings. Now, do something. Impress me. Hashem wants us to give something. That's the fourth month. And this week, which is the last week of Kis, I mean of Sivan, the last week of the third month, but it's what connects, and this Shabbos we're going to bench the month of Tammuz, connecting three to, to four. Gemoyel Dalim. It's the empowerment that we get this month in the month of giving from above, in the month when Hashem is channeling, 
we get a tremendous, tremendous empowerment in this week, the last week of the month of Sivan, so that we can produce, that we should be able to handle that independence that God gives us responsibly, and we should be able to produce something to the Abishter's satisfaction, to God's satisfaction, that we should give Him something. And that happens in this month. We can say that the, you know, one of the days that are coming ahead of us is the, is the day of the 28th of Sivan. The 28th of Sivan, I think, is going to be on Sunday. And the significance of the, or maybe Monday, and the twenty Monday, and the 28th of Sivan, which is on Monday, coming a week from now, it's called Koyach Sivan, the power of Sivan. It's the entire, what does that mean? It's the power that God gives us from above, not just for us. It's the power that God gives us from above so that to see what we can do with that, with our independence that He gives us. So this theme is really the entire theme of this very unique parsha, parsha Shalach, which at the first glance, when you read the parsha, it looks like a very, very troublesome parsha. It is a troublesome parsha. It is a parsha that leads us into darkness, into exile. All the suffering we have until Mashiach comes is all attributed to the horrible mistake that happens in this week's parsha. But we're, gonna how, we're going to see how actually that mistake came about precisely because of the independence that comes right now. In the month of Nisan, in the month of Iyar, the month of Sivan, the first three months of the year, God is holding our hand. He's leading us step by step. It represents the times in our lives when Hashem is mamish, holding us. We can feel God cuddling us. But then, this is when we have to grow up, in the month of Tammuz. Now, when you leave go of a child, when you're holding a child and walking with a child, and they never walk on their own, and you leave go of a child, what is going to happen? Inevitably, they're going to fall. The first time a father removes the training wheels from the tricycle, the training wheels on a bike, the kid has to learn how to ride on a two-wheeler, right? He has to balance himself. The first time you remove the, the thing, the child is going to fall down, he's going to get a bloody uh, leg, he's going to scratch his foot, he or she. It's going to happen. Inevitably, it's going to happen. Sometimes it might be a little more severe than that. Get a bad bump, or who knows. But you know what? The only way a child will grow up is you leave go of them. So this is what happens this week in the parasha. The Abishta lets go, gives us, as we'll see in a moment, some independence. And we don't know how to handle exactly that independence. We don't appreciate exactly what, is, what, what needs to be. And maybe we make a mistake. And we made a mistake. And we had an exile because of that. Because the story of the Meraglim leads us to Tishabav, and Tishabav leads us to being in exile. But in this time, we grow up, and then we become worthy for Mashiach. So Tammuz is very, very, and that's why we find that for all of history, what was Tammuz? It's the very negative month. It's the beginning of the three weeks. We, have, we, we, we commemorate, we have a fast day, the 17th of Tammuz. That's when they breached the walls of Jerusalem. This is when the dark period, the darkest period of our year starts. Well, when God steps out a little bit, there's the possibility of darkness. So you see how the parasha Shalach is very, very, very consistent with the time of Tammuz that we're coming in. But it's interesting, Shalach is not in Tammuz. Shalach is in the end of Sivan. And the reason is because 
We're still ahead of the game right now. We're not yet holding in Tammuz. We're still in the month of Sivan and we should appreciate what's happening right now. What's happening over the next week in each and every one of our lives, if we're sensitive, if we're, t- if we're tuning in, what's happening in each and every one of our lives is that the Eibishter is giving us an empowerment that we can do it on our own. Because again, Sivan is, is him, not us. Tammuz is us. The last week of Sivan, or the Shabbos that connects Sivan to Tammuz, especially the day Koyach Sivan, the power of Sivan. What's its, what's its essence? It's the empowerment coming from above for us to be able to do what we need to do. So we see this week in the Parsha, let's go through the Parsha and find the, the, the independence that we have in Parsha Shalach. So right away at the beginning of the Parsha, we find Rashi immediately makes a comment. If we take a look, we'll see that this is the theme of the entire Parsha. Right at the beginning of the Parsha, Vaidabad Hashem Moshe Leimor, the Abish speaks to Moshe saying, Shlach Lecha, send for yourself. Shlach Lecha, send for yourself. It's an interesting word. Shlach Anoshim, send people. We're talking about the spies. Shlach Anoshim, send people. What does it say? Shlach Lecha, send for yourself. The word Lecha seems to be redundant, extra. Rashi says, what does it mean? So Rashi says, Ledaitcha, this is according to your own mind. It's your decision, Moshe. I am not commanding you. The story was that the Jewish people were poised to go into the land. We're ready to go in. We finished, we traveled, we're ready. The next journey would have been into the land of Canaan. We were so close. And what happened? The Jews suddenly felt, listen here, you know, we got to, before we go into the land, we got to get some more information. So they came to Moshe and they said, let us send spies to check out the land to see if it's really good and everything is wonderful and what would be the best way to go about this. Fine. So Moshe came to Hashem and Moshe said to Hashem, they're asking to send uh, scouts, they're asking to send some people up there to check out the place. So Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, um, this is on your, on your own mind, I am not commanding you. I'm not commanding you. If you want to do it on your own, shlach, you can send. Why? So Rashi says. Because the Jewish people came, they said, let us send spies. And Moshe said, Moshe went to speak to the Shechina. And, 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 and why does Rashi continue? Why is God not getting involved? So Rashi says, because Hashem says, I told them it's a good land. So they don't trust me. I said it's good. Chayeem, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm making a, an oath, Hashem says. I am giving them space to make a mistake. I'm going to create now a little space that they should be able to make a mistake. Since they, since seems to be they don't trust me, and they need to know on their own. So, okay, you know what, if you want to send them, you can send them. I'm giving them, I'm letting them, I'm creating space over here for them if they want to make a mistake so that they should not inherit the land, because they're testing me, right? That's what it says in Rashi. And then, it continues, where's the conclusion here? Oh, that's it. So here's a very, very strange thing. That's the meaning of the word, l'cha, you decide. And what did Moshe do? After he hears from God, how God is not so happy with this arrangement, or with this request. He doesn't like it. You can see he doesn't like it. And that's why Hashem is not commanding. Hashem is like staying on the side. 
So, and he leaves it up to Moshe. And what does Moshe do? Moshe gives in to the people's request or demand, which he didn't have to do. He's the leader. And he sends the spies. What happens as a result of that? The worst catastrophe in all of history. Because these spies went up and come back with a terrifying story. They scare the people. And the people rebel. They want to go back to Egypt. They don't want to go into the land. The results, the entire generation perishes in the desert. They don't go into the land. 40 years they wander in the desert. All the men over 20 die. And only the next generation comes into the land. But not only that, that's the first consequence. They cried. Well, the whole people, all nation was crying. And because of that, we cry for thousands of years on Tishabov. That was the night that they were crying. I mean, it's horrible to think about what kind of pain and suffering came out of this story. And whose decision was it? Moshe Rabbeinu. Doesn't make any sense. Why did my, Especially once Moshe sees that God is not so excited about this whole idea. Now this is a tremendous, tremendous novelty. Tremendous novelty. Because we, it's not the first time that we the Jewish people inspired, it's not the first time that we the Jewish people inspired something in Torah. We have it repeated many times in the Torah, the Jewish people inspired some. For example, last week in Parshish Baloscha, it speaks about the Pesach Sheni. There were people that were impure and they couldn't bring the Pesach. They came to Moshe, they said, why can't we participate? Moshe said, let me ask God. Moshe spoke to God and God gave clear instructions. Yeah, you didn't make the first Pesach, you can make the second Pesach. So even though it was sparked by the people, it was brought in front of Hashem and Hashem gave the instructions of what to do. Here's another one. Uh, the daughters of Tzalafchad. The daughters of Tzalafchad were demanding, they were asking, demanding, they were asking that, they should, that women should also be able to get a portion in the land if there's no sons to the father, they should. Moshe says, I'm going to go to God. He goes to Hashem, and Hashem says, they're right, and you should give a, a, a daughter, can also inherit from her father. If there's, no, if there's no sons, the inheritance goes to the daughter. Okay. So a question was brought, by who? By the people. They inspired it. Comes to Hashem, and Hashem says. Even by Matan Torah, it says that Moshe, Rabbeinu, Moshe changed the date of the giving of the Torah. The Torah was supposed to be given on the third day from when Hashem said, be prepared to the third day. Moshe felt the Jewish people will not be prepared on the third day and he added a fourth day. He said, you'll be prepared after three days on the fourth day. So that seems Moshe is making his own arrangements. But even then, the Hiskim al Hashem agreed with him. Moshe had an idea. Moshe said, I don't think they're ready. God said, okay, not ready. Let's do it the next day. Fine, Hashem agreed. So up till now, you don't have ever, in, we, every, or rather, we have every single time, everything, the Jewish people are completely operating on God's commandment. Hashem is leading them, they're following whatever He says, He's, he's channeling it through His Navi Moshe. Even when the people want something on their own and initiate, okay, it's brought through Moshe Rabbeinu to Hashem, Hashem hears and Hashem makes the decision. This is the first time that we find that Hashem does not give Moshe Rabbeinu the clear direction. Moshe says they want to send spies. God could have said yes. God could have said no. He doesn't do that. He says, up to you. It's your decision. You decide. 
Now, you would think that Moshe would get very suspicious about this. Once Hashem, I mean, he never, this is the first time this is happening. You would think Moshe would get very uncomfortable. And Moshe would say, hey, something, something is not, is not, is doesn't, doesn't, doesn't smell right. Something is wrong. Why is God not going, it must be that this is not such a good thing. And yet he doesn't. Yet Moshe Rabbeinu goes ahead and, uh, and sends the Meraglim, even though the Eberster did not, did, not, did not tell him to do so. To make matters worse, to make matters worse, not only, and, and in the end something horrible came out. Hashem, the, the, like the Rashi says, because of this there was, there was room for a mistake, but not only room for a mistake, actually there was a mistake. As we said, the worst catastrophe came out of it. And it's not to say that Moshe Rabbeinu had no sense that there was a problem. You might say Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have any suspicion. Shem said, it's up to you. He evaluated the situation. He saw the coast is, cl- is clear. These guys are all standing members of the community. They're all, Rashi says at that time, they were still kisherim. They were all righteous people still. They were kosher. They weren't wicked yet. And they only got corrupted later. And therefore, he had no problem. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu already, over, it says, was davening for Yehoshua. He says he davened. He said, Ka, he changed Yehoshua's name. Yehoshua's name was really, Joshua's name was Hoshea. And Moshe changed his name to Yehoshua. Why did he change? Why? Because he prayed for him. And what does Rashi say? What did he pray? Ka, Yehoshiacha, God should protect you, Me'atzas Meraglim, from the council of the Meraglim. That means Moshe Rabbeinu clearly is sensing that something is really wrong over here. And this is very, very dangerous. And yet, Moshe Rabbeinu does not refuse, or Moshe does not you know, call the whole thing off. He allows the mission to happen. He actually is the one who's sending them. Shlach. It was a shlichus from Moshe Rabbeinu. In a sense, he bears responsibility. We don't find later that God has any complaints to Moshe about it. That's strange. So the question over here is, how can Moshe Rabbeinu do this? To make matters much worse. Later we find, 40 years later, Moshe Rabbeinu passes away with his generation who stayed in the desert because of that. And he doesn't merit to go into the land and instead who takes the Jewish people into the land? Yehoshua takes them into the land. And what does Yeshua do the first thing when Yeshua is getting ready to go into Eretz Yisrael? What does he do? He sends Miraglim. He sends spies. doesn't send 12, he sends 2. I'm sorry, Moshe didn't either send 12. He sent 10. No, no. Moshe sent 12. 12, one for each shaven. But Yeshua, Yeshua sends 2 Miraglim. 2 Miraglim. Now you got to wonder, Yeshua barely survived. Why, would Yeshua, why did Yeshua come back at Sadiq? And not, and not get corrupted in this corruption. Because Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for him. Not because of his own righteousness. Because Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for him. Kalev did not have Yeshua's, Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer. So Kalev ran to Ma'ara Samach to Davin. To please save him. Looks like it was such a difficult test. He needed tremendous help from God. So Kalev did his own prayer. Yeshua was helped. He was riding on Moshe's wings. Moshe prayed for him. So he realized he's a survivor from the worst catastrophe. He himself witnessed it because he was one of those. 
and saw how big the test was, how dangerous it was. And what does he do? He repeats the same thing. And over there, it's Apipashtis in the story of Yeshua. There was God didn't tell him to do so. He again he did it on his own. Ledaitcha, he did it on his own. Why would Yeshua do it? So we have to say that this whole doing it on your own is maybe not as bad as we think it is. Maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. So to understand this, we really need to understand as follows. The Abishter God relates to us and our relationship with Him is on two modes. One aspect of our relationship with the Abe with God is that God commands us and we are obedient to Him. We listen to Him. That's one level of the connection. And that's the 613 commandments. There is a Shulchan Aruch, there is a code of law for a Jew, where God spells out detail by detail of how we are to live our lives, do the mitzvahs, do it exactly like this, don't do it like that, this you should do, this you should not do. What does it take to listen to God? It's not easy. We have Yetzirah, we have evil inclination. So we have to activate our obedience. It's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah says, Batel Ritzoncha Mepnei Ritzono. Surrender your will before God's will. That means you might be in a complete different page than Hashem. You might dislike the thing that God loves. You might dislike giving charity. You might find yourself being very, very miserly, very, very, very stingy. You like to keep everything for yourself. Tzedakah is excruciatingly difficult. But you know what? You're not going to fight God. If God wants it, you surrender your will to Hashem's will. That's batel ritzoncha. Nullify your will before Hashem's will. I gave an example of tzedakah. It might be you're not studious, you don't like learning Torah. It's a mitzvah to learn Torah. It comes, it's for you. Tzedakah, you don't mind. But learning Torah, you can't sit by your shear. You can't. You're jumping out of your skin when the rabbi gives a five-minute speech. can't sit quite yet. You're ADD. But you know what? You have a mitzvah to study Torah. So you've got to force yourself somehow to, to surrender your will for God's will. Or we have appetites and things that we... To do things we shouldn't be doing, God doesn't approve it. And again, we break our will to do His will. But there's another part to that Mishnah. The other part of the Mishnah is Make your will like God's will. You know what that means? So there's two levels. A simple meaning it means that it shouldn't always be a conflict. Try to bring yourself to a place that when God gives you a mitzvah, not only do you do it, but you also want to do it. Make your, align yourself with Hashem. Become a more refined being that what Hashem finds tasteful, you should also find tasteful. What Hashem finds distasteful should be abhorrent to you. That's a more tzaddik, someone who's more refined. That's the simple meaning. But there's another meaning, means that God has pleasure. That we figure out what He wants even when He doesn't tell us explicitly what He wants. And everybody knows that in a relationship. There's a certain time, there's always a, a depth and a connection where you would love your spouse to just have figured out exactly what you want and how you like it without you having to tell her. Or without she having to tell you. A husband enjoys that if, that, if his wife is able to get it 
And his wife, a wife enjoys it tremendously if her husband knows what she wants without her telling him. The Abishter Hashem wants of us in certain situations to do his will without him telling us explicitly what his will is. So, and that's what was happening over here when it says, Ledaitcha to your will. It doesn't mean, like we're used, see, we're used to reading the Rashi perhaps with an angry note, because we know the rest of the story, so we're already pre-assuming that at the beginning there's already like a really bad story happening over here. So the moment we're already learning the first Rashi, we can see God fuming already. This is to your will. I told them it's good. You don't like it. Do it on your own. If you want to do it, do it. If not, leave me alone. That kind of like Hashem is insulted. Who said? Who said we should study Rashi like that? It's a whole different Rashi. The Abishter is now moving our relationship to a whole new level for the first time in history. Hashem is letting go. And Hashem is enjoying it. Hashem wants so much to let go and not have to tell you exactly what He wants and how He wants it. He wants you on your own to be so fine-tuned into him that you know how he would want it and do his will without him telling you. That's the meaning of lidaitcha, to your will. I'm not commanding you. Not I'm not commanding you, I'm angry. No. I'm letting go. I'm giving you your own independence. Go ahead. Make the right choice. Do the right thing. Do it. And do something the way... Choose, figure out what I would like. Did Hashem want Moshe Rabbeinu to send the Meraglim? Of course he did. Moshe didn't err. Moshe got it perfectly right. Hashem said, I am not commanding. This is not going to be a commandment. I want you to do this without a commandment. What? What you think I would want. And what does God want? We'll soon see in a moment. God wanted they should send the Maragla. This was perfectly consistent with the Abraham's will. But it was such a type of a... It was such a, 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 a will where the Abraham wants that it shouldn't come from him that we should do it on our own. Why? Because we should be big boys. Big children. We shouldn't be little kindlech anymore. We should grow up. And we should have the sensitivity and the connection to God to know what Hashem is like and what Hashem would want and appreciate what our obligations are and to know what we need to do. Obviously, for this kind of a service, for this kind of a... a, 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 a for this type of a service where we're not commanded, yet we're given and the, the, the ability and the or we're given the space, the independence, to do something on our own, but to do it inconsistent with what the Abraham told us without him telling us. For this, we require a tremendous, tremendous godly empowerment. This needs divine assistance even more than when God tells us what to do. We also need God's help. To do a mitzvah that God told us, we also need God's help. But to be able to figure out what the Abraham wants of us in situations where it isn't explicit, it isn't direct, it isn't spelled out for us, and we need to have... How does a human, tiny, human, fickle being 
or a fickle human being, how does he or she figure out the mind of the Creator? How are they synchronized with God's will? When things aren't spelled out. For this you need a tremendous divine assistance. And God's assistance over here is in twofold. Number one, the very fact that Hashem gives us independence. He is an all omnipotent, omnipresent God. He's everywhere and in everything. All of the universe and all of existence He fills. He controls every, every, everything from the greatest, greatest galaxies to the tiny, tiny, tiniest creatures. Every movement in all of the universe and all of the cosmos God controls perfectly, 100%. And yet, the Abishter chooses to step out and to leave space. We call that free will. God gave us free will to choose to serve or not to serve Him. Hashem has to give us power to do that. That we should do something? He's the one that does everything. We should do something? That requires a tremendous empowerment from God. Bechira is the biggest empowerment. It says that Bechira comes, Hashem gives a piece of His essence to us. Man is like one, like the like the like 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 the Abishter himself. He's the only one that has free choice. All of the cosmos, every single creature and being is all pre-programmed. Someone should have independent power. It's huge, impossible. Well, God made it possible because this was Hashem's will that man should have free will. But let's analyze that. Where is the the bechira, real true bechira? really, really, really manifest. To give tzedakah or not to give tzedakah, to keep Shabbos or not to keep Shabbos, to, to keep kosher or not to keep kosher, is free choice. But that's not really, really, really the ultimate free choice. You know why it's not the ultimate free choice? Because you can say, hold it, um, you're, you're totally free to run a red light. You're free to run a red light. If you want, just keep your foot pressed on the gas and run a red light. I'm free to do so. It's a free. Yeah, it's free if you're ready for the consequences. Consequences, the, 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 the more immediate, conse- the, 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 the more selfish consequences, you get a ticket, the cop will pull you over and you get into trouble. Or the, 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 the greater consequence, God forbid, you can hurt someone. Hurt yourself, hurt someone else, running the red light. Are you free to do it? Yeah, you're free to do so. But which Meshuggah is going to do so? We're not going to do it, right? Because, so when you know that God says explicitly, do not eat that sandwich. So even though we're living in a world where technically you can ignore God and eat that treif sandwich, that non-kosher sandwich. But as a Jew, it becomes quite difficult to eat that non-kosher sandwich. Because the, our souls want... But, uh, the nature of a Jew, the nature of our neshama is to do God's will. I, I, I'm saying yes, it's possible that we can desensitize ourselves so much that we st- cease to have that nature, at least in our consciousness. We cease, we become so desensitized to Hashem, we chas v'shalom sinned and ignored Him once, twice, 20 times, 30 times, 100 times, then it becomes easy to sin. Generally, it's difficult for you. When you know something is explicitly against halacha, it's hard to do it. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very hard to do so. So the real bechira, free choice, is not so much in matters where God is so explicit in His instructions. 
then it's true we have Bechira, but it's not the full, the full Bechira. There are many, so where is full Bechira really, really, really present? Where is the real free choice? God leaves certain sections in our life where the Abushter says, Ledaitcha, it's your mind, I'm not governing that. There's no halacha regarding that. This is your free, your free time, your free space. You can do as you wish. As long as you fulfilled your obligation, you did your davening already today? You did your, now it's your free time. Do as you wish. I'm, I'm not getting into the technical question of for a man, there's an obligation to study Torah every minute. Okay, let's, let's I'm not. But there are definitely scenarios and cases in where there is no divine obligation in a particular situation. It's the permissible, if you would say. Here is where real free choice is. What's the free choice? You can choose at that moment to run away as fast as you can from God and just indulge in your own selfish, in a person's own, in our own selfish desires. Or we can think. We can think that we don't want to be separated from Hashem even for a second. Not only that, we're so in tuned with, with, with the all-pervading essence and light of Hashem that's the, that's the power and creation all of existence and we're so much we so much want to satisfy God and give Him pleasure that in every situation even the permissible even the most in elements that there is no clear guided Allah we're constantly thinking how can I do this in a way that's just going to satisfy Hashem that's going to make God happy and, and all the mundane little things in our life it's not that there's no halacha there because God doesn't care. It's actually in those spaces, in those moments, in those areas, in those areas where Shulchan Aruch doesn't govern, God cares so much more. Because that's where He wants to see where are you at? What can you do on your own? Can you find the way the Eberster wants you to do it without Him telling you? That's the ultimate ladaitcha. Your Bechira Chavshis, free for you to choose. You make the decision. Keep me in mind. So you're making the, you make the decision to be satisfactory to what I would want. So the blessing or the empowerment in this Bechira is twofold. Number one, the very idea that we have free choice is really a big novelty. Let's think about that. Let's step back a second. The very idea that we have even free choice, Bechlal in general, the truth is there is no free choice only when it comes, generally only when it comes to morality. When it comes to morality, other than morality, there's no free choice. Even actions of human beings are governed from God. Every single thing in the world is governed from Hashem unless there is decision regarding morality. Right and wrong, that's where we have free choice. How is it possible that there is free choice? If God is everything and everywhere, that's His absolute, stunning ability to do the impossible. Even though He's everywhere and in everything, He allows us to run the show, to make a decision. Where? When it comes to... So the fact that God gives us that ability to, to be able to choose right from wrong in a scenario, in a... Where there is a commandment, as we said earlier, if, if there was no Bechira, there's no point to a commandment. What is he commanding? You're a robot. You're a robot. If, if there is Bechira, 
So then he's commanding you to do something. There is value to what you're doing because you're choosing, you're choosing to do his commandment. Fine. So there has to be free choice when it comes to commandments. The greater novelty is in the area where there is no commandments. Over there as well, the Abishter leaves you free choice to be able, in as much that you can live your life and all aspects of your life in a way that satisfies God. You can choose. That's the Ladaitcha. He leaves you space. In other words, in the area what we call Bruchol Durachecha De'eyu, in all of your ways you should know him. In that area, the Abishta leaves you free choice. And that's a bigger, it's a bigger novelty, because it's not a commandment. For a commandment, of course there has to be free choice. But the fact that God gives you free choice in areas where are not explicitly commandments, that's a greater chidush, that's a greater novelty in the, in the Bechira, in the free choice. But there is a second thing. In addition to Hashem giving us Bechira, free choice, there's this stage number two. The Eberster empowers us to end up choosing the right thing. We're free to choose in both directions, but we are told in the Torah, what does Hashem say? You should choose life. Hashem wants us to make the right choice. Hashem wants us to choose life, goodness, holiness, to choose the right, the right thing. That means an empowerment that we shouldn't fail in our choice. Oh, so again, there's two blessings from God, two empowerments. Number one, the empowerment itself that we should be able to act, the free choice itself is a special empowerment coming from Hashem. And as I said earlier, where is it stronger? In the areas where there is no explicit commandment for God. What do I mean it's stronger? It's stronger meaning it's, it's more... There, there, there's a greater, it's, it, it, it makes less sense that there should be free choice, and yet the Abishter is giving us free choice. Stage number two, the Abishter is blessing us. We have a special assistance from God to be able to choose the right thing. Oh, so and what does it mean to do the right thing? To do the right thing even if it's inconsistent with our character and nature. And it's even though based on our natural natural into um, 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 ca- character, the, our, our natural uh, state of mind and, and emotion, and uh, the, the character of our, our, our physical nature, our mental nature, and so on and so forth, our psychological makeup, we are prone to behave in a certain way. We're given, the Abishter has given every, no one can say, listen here God, I was created lazy, and therefore I'm sorry I came back, I, I wasted 95% of my, percent of my life, I didn't do anything because I was lazy. Okay, you're right, you're lazy. And basically the person will say, check my DNA, I come from lazy parents, lazy grandparents, lazy, lazy, I have 10 generations of the laziest people ever. And therefore I am stuck in being lazy. That doesn't work that way. Why doesn't it work that way? Because the Abishter in Bechira gives you free choice to overcome your nature. Oh, so the question is, when it comes to mitzvahs, that we can go against our nature and do a commandment, meaning go against, the, and only a human has that. Animals don't have that. Animals have to act consistent with their nature. Angels have to act consistent with their nature. The only ones who can override their nature are humans. Because Hashem gave them the power. And Hashem blessed us to do the right thing. Choose life. When we choose life, however, if it's a commandment that we're choosing to follow in the areas where God commands us 
and we are found, let's say, going back to the miser, person doesn't want to give tzedakah. Yet, God commands him to do so. The fact that they're able to overcome their, their natural, their, 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 their intrinsic nature, and do what Hashem wants, is also not such a novelty. Why is it not such a novelty? Because if God is commanding you to give the tzedakah, you have, an, you have God's commandment. You have the infinite power to do the thing. Every time when Hashem commands you to do something, Hashem is empowering you through the commandment. So you might be, as we said earlier, you might be a person who doesn't like to study Torah. You don't have, as we call it in Yiddish, you don't have zitzflesh. You can't sit and learn. Oh, the Abishter gives you a commandment to learn. So now you're riding, what's your energy? Your energy is not human energy, your energy is divine energy. Because the, the mitzvah itself, command empowers you. Ah, but when we're dealing with an area where there is no commandment, when we're dealing with an area where there is no explicit mitzvah, and yet the Abishter gives you space, and Hashem would like you to live your life even in that space in a certain way, but He's not commanding you. And here, in order to do it His way, not your way, His way, you have to overcome your nature, and you can't use God's power. You understand why you can't use Because He's not commanding you. You have to use your own power. Oh, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate satisfaction. Here is the ultimate expression of Bechira Chafshis of free will. In areas where there is no Shulchan Arach, there is no clear commandment of the Eberster of how things need to be done, yet you want to do it the Eberster's way, and you go against the grain of everybody else, you're doing it, you're doing, you're working against your own nature, maybe against the opposite of the community, opposite of the environment, and you're doing things, and you, because the Eberster wants them. That's the ultimate satisfaction for Hashem. Because we did something, not he did it, we did it. The Abishta yearns for, for the achievements of our hands when we do it on our own. He knows he's omnipotent and he can do anything. So when we're acting as his agents, it's nice, it satisfies him. We're tuning in, we're channeling his energy, we're plugging into him and getting his power to do something. It's also awesome because you chose, you chose to plug in. But once you're plugging in, it's his current that you're using, not your current. But how about in things where there is no divine current? It's on your own and you have nature working against you. And yet, from within your finite little space, you do it His way, and you overcome your nature. That is, that is a, 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 the greatest simcha, the greatest joy, the greatest celebration above. That is why, when came Shlach Lecha, and the Eberster came to Moshe Rabbeinu, and gave him a new phenomenon, a new idea, Moshe became so happy, you have no idea. As we said earlier, Moshe Rabbeinu, God is not commanding me. He must be upset. No. Moshe Rabbeinu saw this as the ultimate moment. The moment he's been waiting for. The moment he, as the leader of the Jewish people, was given permission from God to act on his own. That means that the Abishter is letting go. And the Abishter says, now you do something. And he knows how much that is meaningful to Hashem, that we should do something for him without him empowering it, without his power, that we're doing it. So this was the biggest 
joyous moment in Moshe. This was an opportunity. Shlach lecha, the Ebershah says, Ladaitcha. Ah, get it right. You figure out how to do it, that it should be consistent with my will. And Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore Moshe Rabbeinu, with great joy, was excited about this. Was excited about this. Why is this dafka done by the Meraglim? Let's understand for a moment. This could have been done by something else. Why was it at this moment crucial when it came to conquering the land? Why was it dafka over here that the Abishter gives this independence and wants us to do it on our own? The reason is because, think about it. We went out, we went out of Egypt, we came to Matan Torah, we received the Torah, and what's the purpose of it all? The purpose of receiving the Torah was that we should implement the Torah in Eretz Yisrael. And what's the point of implementing the Torah in Eretz Yisrael? That we can take the lowest things, the, the world, which is low, we learned about this so many times. The point of the Torah is to bring heaven down to earth, to connect the lowest with the highest, to connect the, main, the mundane with the holy. So actually conquering the land for God is the greatest achievement. The Abishter wants, the Abishter wants that we should conquer, take, and we should know that the land of Canaan, before it became Eretz Yisrael, represented a very, very dark place. Rashi says that even though the, the nations were corrupt, the most corrupt nations, Rashi says, were wherever the Jews are. I believe that. The most corrupted environments are always where the Jews are. Why? So that we can take something corrupt and transform it. So that's why, what was the corrupt, most corrupted nation? Egypt and Canaan. And what was the Jews' job? To take the lowest of the low, the darkest of the dark, and transform that and make it into, as it says, Ayyidish Elan, the holy land, Eretz Yisrael, a land of holiness, a land of godliness. Since the objective is to take something low and transform it, that's why you can't transform it by canceling the character and the nature of the low, because if you're, if you're doing that, then you're not transforming a low place. Again, the objective is to take something that's ungodly and make it godly. But you want to leave the, the, the character of the ungodly, the nature of the ungodly, so, it's th- so that something that is ungodly becomes godly. Like we spoke many times, that you're not supposed to do a mitzvah in a, by utilizing a miracle. Because the whole point of a mitzvah is that you want to take nature and purify nature and make it holy. If you do a mitzvah through a miracle, then you're altering the natural state. So you're not making nature holy, you're disrupting nature. So the same is also, same idea. If we're going to make Eretz Yisrael into a godly place, we have to take a land that has the characteristics and the nature of a land, meaning part of the world, and make it holy. That's why the conquest of Eretz Yisrael needed to be done, even though, by the way, it was going to be be done through miracles, but even though it was going to be done through miracles, it had to be done at least to a certain degree in a natural way. The, the entry into Eretz Yisrael could not be 
completely miraculous. It had to be within the framework of nature. It is for that reason that it required a war. God could have just brought a powerful wind. Imagine that. Just like Hashem took all the locusts in Egypt and blew them out from Egypt into the sea. Hashem could have brought this massive wind, picked up all the inhabitants who were living in Canaan, and dropped them deep, deep, deep in Africa or anywhere else in South America or anywhere else that God wants. A lot of the places in the world were not yet inhabited then and they would have built up their lives and have a free land for the Jewish people to enter. There would be no bloodshed and everything would be wonderful. God can do that. Why didn't Hashem do that? Because Hashem wants that it has to be a conquest. It has to work. It has to be part of a natural order that we're conquering the land. Therefore, Ramban says, Nachmanides says, it called for sending spies. If you're going to go by our rules, not by God's rules, if you're going to work by the laws of nature, not by God's rules, then you got to do it in a natural conquest. When, and when, you go to, when you go to conquer something naturally, you want to send spies. You want to kind of figure it out. What's the, even though you know you're going to be assisted by miracles, but still, you still want to figure out the most natural way of doing it. Ah, since this is the objective precisely over here, that it has to be done based on and from within the, the, the nature of this world, it is for precisely because of that that the people, not just the conquest itself, but the people conquering should also approach it from within their own, from within their own mind, not through be, as, as agents of God, but from within their own doings. Dafka at this moment of taking Eretz Yisrael was required that we should have independence. Because it needed to be done, the world had to become holy. Part of the world become holy is that the people working in making the world holy are also working from within their natural means, from within their, their human powers, not by, by just being led by God. That's why it was Dafka in this moment that the Abishter steps away and he says, I am not going to tell you how to conquer the land. I'll leave it up to you. Dafka over here, there needed to be a moment of independence. The Jews had to grow up and be able to do something on their own. It's part of making a world holy. Or else it's godly. Hashem could make, put it this way, Hashem can make a low world and Hashem can make it holy. <laughs> That defeats the whole purpose. He doesn't want to make it holy. He wants us to make it holy. If he wants us to make it holy, it has to come in a manner where we are involved to the most we can. And that's why even the decision of how to do it and what had to be Ladaitra. We had to decide. We're going to decide if we're going up, how we should take the land and so forth. So that was the whole reason of the spies. And it was actually so consistent with God's will. And it needed, they should analyze, they should go, they should inspect, they should analyze, they should prepare, um, what's it called again, strategies of how to conquer the land. So what went wrong? It seems to be so awesome. It seems to be so perfect. They're, they're, they're already fulfilling God's will on the highest level. What went wrong? What went wrong was one tiny little mistake. But this little tiny mistake is horrible. And what was the mistake? The mistake was God is saying, you're going to make the decisions over here. It's going to be according to your mind. But you're not going to decide what we're going to do. 
What we're going to do, I've said already what. We are going to live in Eretz Yisrael. That's our land. What, you are go- what I need you to do is you are going to figure out how, what, where and when we're going to take care of this. How we're going to enter the land, how we're going to conquer it. I want your contribution. So when they went up in the land, they were supposed to come back with a report. And actually, there was nothing wrong with their report. It says they came back and they said the people are strong, they're mighty, they're, they have these big fortified cities, it's whatever. There was nothing wrong with their report. Actually, that's why they were sent, to give an exact report. The problem was their conclusion. What was their conclusion? They thought that it's up to them. If it's up to them, we can decide that we don't want the whole thing. We don't want to enter the land. It's up to us. If it's up to, if it's up to God, then it's up to... He gave it to us. We went, inspected, evaluated. We did an appraisal on the whole situation. And we realized that this is not for us. It's impossible. We can't. Goodbye. We're not doing it. So they rescinded their mission. They canceled their mission. Their mission was, we're conquering the land. I need your assistance, the Abish says. I want your input. I want your involvement. So you're, you're a partner. You're an active participant. It's not me doing it. It's you're doing it. But what it is, that I've already told you what it is. What the objective is. We're going to conquer the land. The moment they decided that the work is not for them, and they said, therefore, the shlichus of taking the land is over, they canceled the entire shlichus, the entire mission of what it was, mission aborted, then it, 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 that was clearly against God's will, and against the entire purpose of creation, and against everything, and that was the biggest catastrophe. Which gives us the most important, 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 important lesson, just hearing this, is that when we're given a job, when we're given a task, especially when we're given the task by the leader of the generation, by the Moshe Rabbein, we know Moshe Rabbeinu exists in every generation. And when he gives people a task, and he says, this is the work that you need to do, this is what our generation needs to accomplish. And he doesn't spell out exactly how, what, and where, and when you need to do it, but he does say what the objective is. And our generation, the leader of the generation, gave clear instructions to prepare the entire world for Moshiach. That we are holding now by the threshold of the redemption and we have to prepare the world for Moshiach. And we have to tell the whole world that Moshiach is coming and educate the world for Moshiach. That's the instructions. That a divine, a godly man has heard from Hashem himself or else he wouldn't give it over. And then we're hit with this big, 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 Oh, how can we do that? People are not ready to hear about Mashiach. People can't handle this. It's too much. People will think this is insane. This is crazy. People already are accepted to go out and be Makar of Yidin to Yiddishkeit. They've accepted that already. That's cool. It's already cool to catch a Jew on the street and put on tefillin with him. That's already cool. It's already cool to learn Panimia Satora, the hidden esoteric elements of the Torah, which people were till now afraid to learn, but now we've already kind of broken through. That's already cool. But to speak about Mashiach as an imminent entity element, the entity that's happening right now, we can't. People are not going to buy it. 
Not only that, people are going to think we're lunatics. Not only that, people over- accuse us as being crazies. Therefore, what? We can't do the shlichus. It's too of a difficult shlichus. Let's do a lot of other things, but not this final shlichus. No one asks you if you're going to do the shlichus. No one gives you the right to decide what the shlichus is. The shlichus is given to us. It's given to us. The word of Hashem has been, has been delivered. The question is how? Okay. We have a special bracha that will be successful if we'll do it. We just have to do it. Not question if we can do it. question is how to do it. All right. So we'll take all of our minds together and figure out how to do it in the best way. If we educate and we teach and we bring people step by step, yes, people will be ready. How do we know? Because if we wouldn't be, if we if we wouldn't have the power to do it, we wouldn't be told to do it. We're given the ability to do so means that we could do it. So this is very, 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 very urgent. That if Chas Vishalim we still haven't gotten into that mode to know that we have the ability to, to actually bring the Giula right now. By doing what? Learning about it, teaching about it. Not being afraid to say the word Mashiach. To speak, to teach, to educate. The whole entire subject will be successful. Just like the Miraglim would be successful. I, if so, why weren't we told exactly what we're aware well, Okay, that's the space. That's Ladaitcha. You have to figure out a little bit on your own. You have to, a little bit you have to figure out on your own. Especially when it comes to certain aspects of it that for sure need to be on our own, can't be coming as a commandment from above. One of the mitzvahs the Jewish people have when they come to Eretz Yisrael, one of the mitzvahs, which also pertains to the coming of Mashiach, Soim Tasim Alecha Melech, accept upon yourself a king. That's not something the king can, 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 can force on the people. That's something the people have to figure out on their own who the king is, and that they have to want the Melech. It's not something that can be in Kroh, because else it's, 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 so, it's so distasteful. So these are, the, 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 this parsha is very, very, very pertinent. Very real. So real to, per, 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 right now. Especially when it says that Moshe Rabbeinu comes back. It says in the Zohar, we spoke about this this year more than once. That Moshe Rabbeinu is in every generation, but primarily he will come back in the last generation. Right before Mashiach comes. And he will give instructions. He's always pushing us beyond our limitations. Always giving us jobs that are hard. Always making you step beyond your comfort zone. But when it comes to the biggest tzchus, the biggest merit, the biggest shlichus, the biggest of the biggest shlichus and of all of history, the last and final what we call Makkah take which, which concludes the Makkah Patch means the last you bang on a table and it's considered finishing the work finishing the work for three and a half thousand uh, years three and a half millennium of all of Torah and Mitzvah Mesiris Nefesh and everything and the job was given to our generation to finish it and to do it and we get cold feet and we're terrified and we say, oh, if, they, if I say this, people will say he's a mashuganam, crazy person, he's this, he's that. He believes Mashiach is coming, and he believes in this possibility or that possibility. Therefore, what am I going to do? I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to go crawl into my little corner, and I'm going to hide from the whole subject. I'm going to do everything else, learn, teach Torah, but not with the... 
These Yidden and the Meraglim were good Jews. They were willing to learn Torah, do mitzvah, stay in the Midbar, do a whole bunch of good things, but not the final job, go into Eretz Yisrael. It's tough. It's very tough. It's very real. And Ladaitcha is very important over here. We were given space. We were given... We're coming to Gimel Tamas, we were given 25 years already to figure it out. A little space of our own. Not exactly everything to be told. Zmanagia. Time has arrived. We should know. If this was exactly, I'm just going to conclude one, to conclude it in the, in the if this was Ladaitchaf, this is what the Ebershter wanted for Moshe Rabbeinu. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu daven for Yeshua? What was the point of Moshe davening? It's a sign that he was suspicious that something is wrong. The answer to that is that his tefillah to Yeshua, it's not that Moshe Rabbeinu was really, it wasn't that Chas Vashel Moshe thought that something bad is going to come out of here. Had Moshe thought something bad is going to come out of here, first of all, he would have prayed for all of them. Why did he only pray for Yeshua? He's sending all these Jewish people on a dangerous mission and he knows how dangerous and he sees that the horrible outcome, so he has to daven for all of them. Why is he only davening for Yeshua? The answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu is davening for Yeshua only because Yeshua has a special relationship with him. He's his particular student. He's his like, he's, a, he's his mishamish. He's his mishariz. He, he has a greater responsibility for Yeshua because Yeshua is his private student. So therefore he davens for him. Not because Moshe Rabbeinu, And because every time you're having independence, every time you're given a little empty space to do things on your own, you need extra help from above. So Moshe Rabbeinu was davening extra for Yeshua. But not that Moshe Rabbeinu, and therefore why does he actually use the word, Ka Yeshiacha, God should help you, Me'atzas Meraglim, sounding like there's already a problem over here. That the Lubavitch Rebbe says, was a slip of Moshe Rabbeinu's tongue, but not a slip in the negative way. It was a prophecy coming out of Moshe Rabbeinu's mouth, but at that time he wasn't conscious of what he was saying. Similar, similar that you find by Yaakov Avinu, that Yaakov Avinu, meaning he wasn't thinking what he was saying, but the words came out to be true. Like by Yaakov Avinu, when he said, uh, Hashem will send you your other son, Rashi says it means he will send you Yosef. He said prophecy, he didn't know what he was saying. Moshe Rabbeinu could not have known at that moment that something terrible was going to happen, or else he would have prayed for all of them. This that he says, it came out of his mouth that way, because in truth, a catastrophe was about to happen. So he, his tefillah came out to be correct for Yeshua. The same is also, or we can say a little different, was that since that really Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer was referring to Yeshua, Yeshua particularly individually, he, because again a prophecy that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't conscious of, was that Moshe in the end did not go into Eretz Yisrael. He didn't know that yet, because this was before the whole hitting of the rock. So he didn't know that yet. So, but, 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 but who is going to take the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael? Yeshua. So Yeshua needed more prayer regarding going into Eretz Yisrael than anybody else. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, Davin, Davkafi Yeshua, Meraglim, needs an extra tefillah for Yeshua. But not because the essential idea wasn't bad at all. Again, had we gotten this right, this would have been the ultimate achievement. And that's why, take a look at the amazing thing, Yeshua, 40 years later, even after the catastrophe that happened last time, still did not relinquish and say to God, I'm sorry, if you want to take us into Israel, you do it. If you want us to do it, it's going to fail. 
Yeshua did not do that. Because he knows that that would be so dissatisfactory to Hashem. Hashem so doesn't want that he should have to do it. He so wants us to do it. Therefore Yeshua, even though after the first failure, said, okay, we failed once, we'll try again a second time. But this time we'll get it right. And that's why it is so important that we be participants in the bringing of the Giyula, of bringing Mashiach. The Abishter so does not want to have to do it himself. He wants us to be participants in the whole project and in the whole, in the whole, in the whole, in the whole, in the whole thing. We need to be involved. It's very frustrating if in the end, like we totally missed it, and the revelation comes completely from above. It doesn't involve our participation. And I'm particularly referring to two years of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's instructions. From 1991 and 1992, where he spoke such explicit words about the Geula being right at our doorfront, right at the threshold, ready to happen. And it didn't happen yet. Because he told his chassidim and through his chassidim, all of the Jewish people, you guys need to do the work. Because the Geula is a marriage between heaven and earth, between God and the world, between us and him. And therefore he can't, even though he's doing his part, take a look what's happened in the last few years. Take a look at the unbelievable transformations that are going on. This is unbelievable in the political scene. The whole world is turning over. The Abishter is turning everything over for our sake. But he wants ours, us to be involved. So we need to be involved. We not to not be afraid. Those who learn Hasidus, know Hasidus, are involved, should get comfortable with Mashiach, should teach it, know it, and the world is ready to hear, the world is ready to learn, and the world is ready to accept it. It must, however, go through a process of internalization that happens when it's coming from us. It can't be from above. And this is, I, I can't find a parsha in the Torah and a, and a lesson that is more nogea. To, to life right now than this story of the Maraglim. And we learn it yet every year and every year. And we learn these talks and we learn these explanations and it goes in one ear and goes out the other ear as if it never happened. Because we fail to apply it to our situation. We think, eh, this situation is different. Moshe Rabbeinu gives us shlichus and we're afraid. Because you don't want to be the town Meshuganah. So you're afraid. And out of fear, what? Afraid, afraid? Where's the guts? Where's the koiches? Where, where's the, the Jewish, where's the Messiah Snafish from all of us? I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to all of us. We need to do the right thing. Egiazman. Golos is already ridiculous. No more choice. Achshav Egiazman. We have to stand up for what's emes, what's true, and not be afraid to say the truth. Tehavish to help us. That we should already experience total entry into the land. Uh, the rest of the parsha, by the way, the whole parsha follows the same theme. For example, I'm just going to say the, the parsha ends with the mitzvah of tzitzis. The mitzvah of tzitzis is the most important mitzvah. Why? Through the mitzvah of tzitzis, you remember all the mitzvahs. That's what it says. You will look at your tzitzis, you remember all the mitzvahs. Guess what? It says in Allah, you have no obligation to wear tzitzis. No one is obligated to wear tzitzis. If you have a garment with four corners, you have to put tzitzis on it. But no one asks you to wear a garment with four corners. You can wear a round garment, you can wear a garment, a triangle garment. You don't have to wear a garment with four corners. That's halacha. Tefillin you have to put on. Tzitzis you don't have to put on. 
Yet it's such an important mitzvah. You look at your tzitzis, it will remind you of all the mitzvahs. The answer is, that's the space the Ebishter gives us. L'daytcha, for your own mind, you'll figure it out on your own. L'daytcha, if you, I want you to try to remember me. So you will decide that you want to buy the tzitzis. You don't have to, I'm not commanding you. But which yid is not going to wear tzitzis? I mean, terms of about the men. To do a mitzvah, to wear the tzitzis. So is the, this is the whole theme of Chaydesh Tammuz. And that's why Gimel Tammuz happened in Tammuz. All to leave us a little space that we should do what we need to do and get it right. May the Abish to help that we should finally get it right today. Don't be so kind.